This LEAD Today and Tomorrow series will tell the story of why LEAD matters and how LEAD 4.1 lays the groundwork for future change. In this session, we focus on water efficiency. I am Jamie Van Morick, and I serve as the Vice President of Education Solutions at the U.S. Green Building Council. Our goal is to provide education for all ages to support USGBC's vision for sustainable communities for all. I'm joined by my colleague, Emma Hughes, with the LEAD Technical Development Team. Emma works closely with LEAD Committee volunteers to set the rating system requirements, along with GBCI and industry experts. She focuses on the energy and water requirements for building rating systems and serves as a liaison for the technical advisory groups. Regardless of what the future holds, we know we need healthy and high-performing buildings that enable an environmentally and socially responsible, healthy and prosperous environment that improves the quality of life. At USGBC, we're committed to transforming buildings because we believe that every person deserves a better, more sustainable life. In this series, I will be engaging in discussions with subject matter experts as we tell the story of why the work of USGBC matters and how LEAD 4.1 lays the groundwork for future change. To understand where we are going with the future of LEAD, we need to know the big ideas that are driving the changes in LEAD. So let's start with the big idea. Emma, when it comes to water efficiency, what are the areas that we are focused on when it comes to the future of LEED? Great question to get us started today. Um, so I think when we're looking at the future, it's important to understand what, how the rating system incentivizes water efficiency currently. So right now, um, the way our requirements are structured is really a focus on efficiency first. So selecting efficient appliances and low flow, you know, water sense certified fixtures and fittings. And then beyond that efficiency, immediate focus, we're then rewarding teams in lead for further reducing their potable water use by, you know, selecting alternative recycled sources and implementing on-site water treatment and reuse. So building on that efficiency foundation, I think we're gonna, of course, carry that forward but we will see the rating system requirements evolve to better give teams a framework for achieving net zero water. And of course, in order to, to achieve net zero water, uh, we need to build in a way that really respects the natural water flows of a project site and its surroundings and ensure really that you know, water systems design and landscape design are sensitive to the project site and the local climate conditions. You know, we know that water is a prerequisite, right, for life on Earth, so we really need to shift the paradigm here and help the buildings industry see all water streams as valuable resources, both, you know, precipitation that's falling on a site as well as wastewater that's generated by buildings. So I think that's where we'll be focused moving forward. So, Emma, you touched on a couple of different elements that really talks about how buildings don't act in isolation. You know, the building, water, it's going through the facility, it is being treated, and then it is going back into the sewer systems, it's going to the water treatment plants, 
But then water is also seeping into our water bodies, into our rivers, into our oceans. And so this, this idea of having net zero water um, and being able to have that on-site reuse and to create that circular system really talks to the broader impact that buildings can have on the local region. So Emma, can you talk a little bit more about how LEED in this category can have a greater impact when it comes to water efficiency? Uh, that's a great question. Um, and I like, Jamie, the way you framed it sort of around the connection between a building, which we tend to think of, you know, individual building water consumption, but we need to expand that view so that we're looking externally, right, and understanding the building impacts on local water sources and also how the building water demand um, and wastewater affects sort of centralized uh, distribution treatment and reuse systems. So again, I think in terms of greater impact, that's, that's what we want to incentivize, encouraging teams to look at water use for the entire project and work you know, in harmony with the surroundings or local priorities for water management. In terms of managing the runoff that you were uh, mentioning, we do have criteria in LEED, the S Sustainable Sites Credit Rainwater Management Rewards Teams for uh, managing and reducing rainwater runoff. Of course, treating wastewater on site as well, wastewater that's generated by the building prior to discharge can also critically help protect the water quality of you know, potable water supplies as well as local and regional um, bodies of water and, and fresh water. So understanding those connections um, and then of course, again, that regional or local focus on climactic and, and water conditions is critical. The other piece here that I think is not well represented in LEED just because of the way that we structure our credit categories is the energy water ne nexus. And people don't always make the connection that you know by saving energy, you are saving water given the, um, the amount of water that is associated with you know, electricity generation or, or energy generation and distribution. And on the reverse side, when you save water, you're saving energy. I mean, we see this play out in California where something like one in five power plants in the state are actually you know, deployed to move water around the state and through the water scarce region, of course. Um, so that's one in five. And just for some context, the average nationwide um, is 8%. So Encouraging teams to really consider the supply and demand of the regional system is another place where I think LEED can have a much greater impact in terms of efficiency and preserving and protecting this precious resource. So LEED 4.1 is laying the groundwork and moving us towards the future we want to see. And with 4.1, we're ensuring that LEED means leadership. Emma, can you dig into how 4.1 is laying the groundwork and moving us towards the future in regards to water? You're mentioning this nexus between energy and water and starting to lay out a future state for net zero within uh, the water systems of buildings. Again, so the way we right now addresses water efficiency is looking at indoor water use, outdoor water use, and the efficiency of appliances and cooling processes. Um, looking forward, I think the best 
example of how we see those requirements evolving is in the form of a pilot alternative compliance path that's available to new construction projects. And it's called the Whole Project Water Use Reduction Pilot ACP. And what this does is it rewards project teams for looking holistically at water supply and demand for their project and demonstrating reductions against a water use baseline. So it really requires teams, again, to look holistically at their water systems design and available resources on site and optimize around um, the, you know, the metric of water use. What is critical in this pilot ACP is the concept of whole project water balance modeling. And this can be leveraged similar to energy modeling, right? It's intended as an, a tool to inform project design early on in the development process. And it's in, intended to help illuminate synergies or opportunities for greater efficiency between building water systems. So that holistic approach to water systems design and management, I think, can be elevated via the lead rating system and the way that we refine those requirements over time. I think the other big piece here, uh, in addition to that whole project water use reduction pilot ACP and that concept of water balance modeling, is a really simple one that is often overlooked, and that's that's water metering. So we do have a credit that rewards project teams for sub-metering water using systems. And the importance of this cannot really be, be overstated. I think sub-metering is perceived by some as you know, expensive or not necessarily worth the return on investment, but it is so easy for you know, leaky toilets or irrigation systems to go overlooked if the project's water use is not tracked and measured. So installing those, those sub-meters and really helping teams transition from the design and construction phase where they maybe set water efficiency targets and goals to building operations and enabling you know, tenants, homeowners, facility managers, who's ever responsible for the building water use to easily access and understand metered consumption data, I think is just critical and something that we want to see deployed, you know, in all buildings. So that's the other piece here that um, while it doesn't seem super advanced technologically, the, the metering technology and the capabilities that have become available over the past five, ten years are really incredible. Um, they are internet connected and they are smart, so they learn over time and, you know, it gives building owners and operators a level of control and insight into building water use that we did not have before. So I'm excited to see more of those technologies um, come be implemented at projects and be recognized in the rating system. And that concept of a water balance, I mean, we always talk about an energy balance for our buildings. So that water balance and making sure that you are measuring, you know, in order to manage it. And that just gets us back to that energy water nexus that you talk about. So the more that we can save on one side, on the water side, we're gonna save on the energy side too. So Emma, it's always great to be able to point people to projects that are exemplifying these concepts and these strategies and practices that we're building into the rating system. Can you talk about a project 
that is really showcasing some of these innovations in water efficiency? The most recent example I have that I sort of wanted to celebrate is our first LEED Zero Water Project, which achieved certification last year. It's the Condominio Comercial Euro Business Office Building in Curitiba, Brazil. And we do have actually a project spotlight on, on this incredible project on the USGBC website. But this is a 14-story building that actually treats 100% of its wastewater, so both gray water and black water, on site. And it does that through a constructed wetland on the building's roof. So in thinking about ways to treat the building's wastewater, replicating natural systems for this team really proved to be the most economical solution. It didn't really add any additional cost to the entire project budget. And I would say in thinking about holistic building water consumption, of course, the available area for a treatment system of this sort of sophistication on the roof was, was limited, right? So it was really important from the get-go for the project to reduce the amount of wastewater that's generated in the first place. And that's where we see things like efficient fixtures and fittings and uh, right-sized mechanical systems really playing um, coming into play here. Alternative water sources also play uh, played a large or continue to play a large role for this project. And um, over the course of their performance period, they, they measured an 82% reduction in potable water use. Some of the on-site water sources that they're using um, include captured rainwater, air handling unit condensate, subsurface infiltration, as well, again, as that gray and black water that is treated through the constructed wetland. And during that 12-month performance period that we, that we review in order to award LEED Zero Water certification, 65% of all of the water used on, on that project site was actually reclaimed, which is really, really impressive. So that, I think, is an a inspirational project. It's given it, its, its scale and the holistic approach that they took to efficiency and wastewater management. Wow. That is absolutely incredible, and what a cool story. And it really speaks to the fact that all of the different credit categories are very much interconnected. And so in this particular example, you know, we're not just talking about energy and water usage, but now we're talking about how to leverage the site of the project and being able to utilize the natural system as a machine to clean the water, which then, again, gets back to that greater impact. So what an amazing project to be inspired by and something I think that can really get people excited about the possibilities for water. You mentioned a few different of the actions that this particular project took, capturing rainwater, reusing their condensate, you know, having that constructed landscape. I think there's a handful of actions that you know building professionals can, can take immediately, starting from design all the way to operations. I think during initial project design development, really assessing the, the watershed and the surrounding context, understanding you know, weather patterns and precipitation, annual rainfall, using this information to inform design decisions um, building water budget, especially landscape irrigation budget, I think um, are 
actionable sort of best practices. The other sort of, I think, shift that we need to make in the, you know, building water consumption narrative is, again, viewing buildings, viewing the built environment as a water resource, as a um, leveraging the potential here for, for buildings to create potable water that, um, and, and really, I think there's opportunities to assess whether a focus or reliance on centralized systems makes the most sense for your project or whether there's opportunities to, to really um, leverage distributed water systems for on-site treatment and reuse or maybe treatment and reuse at the community scale. Um, so trying to be creative in understanding local climate conditions as well as surrounding site context I think is, is absolutely critical when you're setting out to design and deliver a project. And then that's where that water balance modeling um, approach can come into play and that enables teams again to holistically predict and, and balance their water demand with efficiency strategies. And then on the operation side, I'll, I'll say it again, metering and helping building owners, operators understand their consumption. In many parts of the United States, there, you know, there's a sort of flat rate or in multifamily buildings, for example, people aren't always billed based on their consumption, which we know is an immediate driver of occupant behavior. So trying to understand how you can connect existing building occupants with water consumption data and giving them actionable information that they can use um, to inform you know, building operation schedules or just drive occupant behavior and mindfulness of water use, I think, can go a long way in this space. Emma, just hearing you talk about what is possible and the innovations and the project in Brazil, it gets me more interested in this topic. I'm just excited now to see what can happen in the, in the future and, you know, how we can be helping people to prepare for that future state. So we have a lot of emerging professionals who come to us looking to advance or expand their careers. And so when it comes to water use and efficiency, which careers do you see are going to be critical to support the future of green building and sustainable communities? I think in lead and, and in terms of the future of green building, of course, an integrative process is critical. Uh, so supporting sustainable building practices going forward, I think, will require really a multidisciplinary approach, coordination across water utilities, plumbing engineers, architects, et cetera. But careers specifically, I think, of course, always um, there's a demand for, for engineers, water systems designers, experts, or practitioners with expertise in on-site water treatment and reuse. Um, and I think increasingly there will be a focus on ensuring minimum water quality. So engaging experts, I think, in water quality testing and, again, that, that treatment and reuse on site will help those looking to advance or expand their careers in green building. Well, there are certainly a lot to take away from this conversation, a lot to think about, a lot to look into. And in terms of innovative strategies and practices. And we have a lot to share. 
for LEAD 4.1, and that all can be found at the usgbc.org site. So thank you, Emma, for joining me and sharing your insights. We know that our community of professionals are addressing the challenges we face to create healthy and high-performing buildings. They are guiding the direction of LEAD. By committing to transforming buildings, we can be part of the future of LEAD and create environments that improve the quality of life for everyone.